Take your Bible now and open it up to Ephesians, the third chapter, and we will read the book. I'm going to do my best to read with minimal commentary. At least I told myself that at first service, but I made much commentary. I'm not sure what happened, but I'm going to see if we can at least prime the pump and then move forward. It says this in verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. That, that you wouldn't lose heart at what I'm going through. Now, was Paul going through something? Okay, was he really in a problem, a situation at that? Uh, very much so. You all know he was in jail, incarcerated, would ultimately one day lose his head. But instead of looking at his obvious situations, instead he chose to look at the heavenly reality. Let me just ask you a question at the beginning of the sermon. How many of you look at your obvious situations first rather than the heavenly realities first? Whatever the case may be, big or small, you look at it and you're quick to summarize it in earthly, tangible, measurable realities. And if you're like me, usually your earthly situation and realities, not cool. And if you're like me, maybe you set up your life in such a way where it should be and go perfectly if you just try real hard. I set up all the things around me, just this will work, and if I do this, and if nobody touches that, and if this happens, ah, this is going to be fun. And then you show up, and everybody touched that, and this fell over, and that's not there anymore. <gasps> just me? Just, okay, sorry. I'll talk to somebody else then. And, and, and maybe you, like me, like Pastor Paul, are getting worked on by God in such a way where he says, hey, 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 Luke, pay attention. It's not so much about your earthly realities as it is about your heavenly perspective. And if you just take the opportunity to get a higher view of your real situation, you'll see through my eyes that I actually have stuff working out. I actually have a plan for the chaos at the very moment. And so Paul in verse 13 says, don't lose heart. I'm in jail. I'm incarcerated. I may and he would die. But don't lose heart. It's for your glory. He does do something, though. In verse 14, he actually goes into action. I need you to get this concept before we read it. Instead of just reacting, he then goes into, in his real situation, prayer. He prays for the realities around him. He prays for his situation, not just... Actually, let me back that up. He doesn't actually pray for his situation. He prays for his own heart and for his friend's hearts. He doesn't pray that the things around him would disappear or rearrange or come back or release. How many of you, when things don't go right or are challenging, you're quick and immediate to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, take care of this stuff. Move that mountain. Break this chain. And we pray for the things around us. I know I sure do. And yet Paul doesn't show that to us in this portion of scripture. While incarcerated, while suffering, while going through tribulations, he says, don't, 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 don't trip about my trouble. Calm down. As a matter of fact, let's pray about it. And you might react. Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray that these jailers pass out dead. Let's pray that Caesar Nero loses his mind. He would a few years later. Historically, we know that. Let's pray that the Roman government goes bankrupt. Yeah. And Paul would look at you and say, that's not quite what I was going to pray about. Here's what he does pray about. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you think he's just messing with you being a poet? You think his knees were really bowed? 
You think he's a liar? Or do you think he's actually incarcerated, locked up, uncomfortable, and yet he makes himself even more uncomfortable? And he bows down. For what reason? I'll talk about that in a minute. He goes on, and I'm going to pray this prayer for you and for I. From whom, verse 15, the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Father, as we've read your word now and we prepare to study it and apply it to our hearts, I believe the message is so simple and elementary that, Lord, it can actually change our entire lives today. And I pray, God, that as we've gathered together to seek you, that you would now reward us, that you would grant us, Lord, attentive hearts and minds, keep us free from distractions. Lord, I pray you'd anoint my lips to serve your kingdom and your purpose, that, Lord, my words would become your heart in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for all that you've already done, and truly, we rest in your faithfulness. We rest, Lord, in your fatherhood. We rest, Lord, in your providence and your power. We rest, Lord, in your knowledge and your character that is good, not evil, with a future and a hope for us. We rest, Lord. We labor to enter into that rest, which is Christ himself. Father, bless this time. Bless this church. Bless the family of God, Lord, in Lincoln County. Bless, Lord, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, as I already alluded to in my opening statements, I sometimes wonder why things are difficult. I work real hard at times to order things in order that it would be less difficult. I don't want things to be tough or hard. And as you take your phone out from time to time and use it as a map quest, you usually let the phone take you the fastest route possible to get there. I don't need all of this other stuff and just get me there, Siri. And so, too, it's ingrained in each and every one of us that the fastest route is from one point to the next in a straight line, and lo, we want that to be the case. In our lives, oftentimes, it's full of tension. It's full of detours and setbacks and trials and pushbacks, and I always wonder what is going on, and I'll tell you what, we've been learning this, I'm going to say it again, these three G's. Why we trial, why there's struggles, why there's difficulties, why there's pain and suffering. The three G's that God allows us to apply to our own lives. The first one is that we would grow. God on purpose allows and sometimes even orchestrates trials for you because without them, you won't grow. I want it to be easier. I don't want resistance. I just want it to be simple. Unless I go to the gym. Then when you go to the gym, I want it to be heavier. Hey, coach, is there any way we can do this heavier? You know, and there's little ways. You put a belt on, you could go heavier, and you can wrap, and you can get a spotter heavier. And when you're at the gym, it's a different dynamic than life. You want heavier because people pay top dollar to join a gym to go in and find resistance machines from the devil. <laughs> do you have any machines that will just resist me? 
oh yeah, right over here. And we find those machines and can we find some heavy weight and pick it up and set it down and pick it up like we're lunatics. Why do people do this in the physical? Because they realize it's going to produce something that's of value. Oh, to be resisted and to be tried. And you leave, and if you've ever seen somebody who's just done leg day, you know, they walk like, you know, I'll be right there. And they can barely walk because they've been up against this trial. We do, this, we do it in school as well. You realize that, right? When you finally realize that education is valuable, it takes kiddos a long time to figure that out. But once you figure out that school is great, you apply yourself to harder classes, Bigger courses, because I want to know that. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to have concepts taught to me that the first time, no idea what you just said, actually took French in college, but didn't take French in high school. Okay? Yeah, we, yeah. So I went to French the very first day, and it was all French, no English at all. And I was like, adios, you know, (laughs) dropping this class, arrivederci, I don't even know what you guys are doing. But... Those who had got a class or two under their belts exposed themselves to a higher level of learning to test their minds. And and in school, we do this. I want to learn something. And we graduate, and there's great wealth and diplomacy, and there's purpose to it. We do this at work. Most of us go to work, and when we go to work, that's exactly what we're supposed to do is work. Most of us are there just to get a paycheck. Let's be honest, you know what I'm saying? But your boss thinks you're there to work to do something, to show up nine to five or whatever, and to produce a product that will make a difference and last and bring revenue and furtherance. (sighs) Yet in spirituality, we tend to make separations and we say, well, I don't want my relationships to be difficult ever. And I don't want my finances to be difficult. And I don't want my body to fall apart or to be tested. I want everything to be linear and congruent and to make sense. And God says, that's not how it works. And by the way, where's the fun in any of that? And God allows trials for your growth. You won't grow without a trial. Wouldn't it be cool if the next trial that God allowed to come into your life was received with anticipation of growth? Ooh, this is going to grow me. And with growth, duh, comes growing pains. I get it. I'm right there with you. I do CrossFit often. And when you do a CrossFit workout, they tell you ahead of time. You can go online on the little app there, and you can look at the workout before you go. And as I've already shared many times, I look at the workout first thing in the morning, and I'm thinking, who would want to do that? And I look at it again about 10 minutes later. It's like, well, I see how you possibly could do that. And about an hour later, I'm like, I'm going to do that. And then you show up, and you do that, and you go through the trial, and you go through the pain, and you realize then the results on the other side. Not just for your growth. We've heard this before. You're learning the same thing again. I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. The second reason things don't go your way and you go through trials, not just for your growth, but for other people's good. The Bible says that when you go through a trial, God meets you and he gives you great confidence and he gives you great consolation and he gives you great comfort. He shows up in the midst of your stuff. First Corinthians chapter two says that when we suffer, we're comforted in order that we may take the same comfort and then apply it to other people's suffering in their time. God says, hey, if I let you walk through this fire, There's going to be somebody a year from now that's going to go through the same thing, and they're going to need you real bad because you'll have gotten through it. You'll be a strong athlete spiritually, and they're going to fall down miserably, and you're going to be there, not like a deer in the headlights in their situation. No understanding, no connection. They pour out their hearts to you and what they're going through, and you just look at them and say, never heard of it. Sorry. Have some coffee. Maybe that'll help. No. Instead of that reaction, you can say to them, ooh, I've been there. I've been there. 
And all of a sudden, you have the ministry of withness. You're just with somebody and their stuff. And that comfort you received, you can reach out with authenticity in your eyeballs and say, hey, 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 you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I've been there. I've been through an ugly divorce. Okay, I've, I've had my heart broken by my kiddos, and I've seen them come full circle. I've had the doctor tell me the unfortunate, I, oh, ah, and I've sat with people as they just tell you what they're going through. And the difference of being able to be compassionate, understanding, empathetic to know what they're going through. And God says, not only are you going to grow through this, but you're going to be available for others' good as you walk with them through their stuff in their difficult times. The third reason we suffer and things just don't go right. I'm just so confused at times. And I'm so good at blaming others. Man, if something goes wrong, I'll find three or four other people to blame. People I don't even know. I'll just find your fault. And the Lord would say, no, 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 stop that. It's not even about that. It's about your growth, Luke. It's about what I can produce in you that wouldn't normally show up if there weren't that toughness. Not just others good. But when this happens, when you go through life and you grow, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and receive comfort and then offer it to others, when those two things are happening, those first two G's, God is glorified. All of heaven and earth, demons and angels and peoples, look at your life and my life as well. And they can't help but react and say there is a God. There's no way you could have a smile on your face after your house burned down. There's no way you could have a smile on your face after you've lost your job. There's no way you could have a smile on your face after that's been revoked from you and taken and your whole life is in turmoil. And yet with God, all things are possible. Did you know that the world's not really impressed with people that have everything handed to them on silver platters and that everything they do works perfectly? That always the winner, always successful, always strong, the world... It's funny because we want that so bad, don't we? I just want to. I just want to win. Not your Libre voice. I just. And yet, the world around us, especially Christians, Paul. Paul should have had an office, a large church that supported him well. I mean, so many things, but he's like, no, 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 no. This is good. This is good. This is for your growth and for God's glory. I, I, I'm in Rome in jail. This is cool. And so too you as a kingdom's kid. You might be looking at your life right now and say, I, should, I kind of think I should have more going for me. I kind of think I should have less going against me. I'm just being pragmatic here, God. I just, the way I do math, and God would say, well, that's not going to impress anybody. As a matter of fact, they're just going to be envious and jealous and they're not going to actually like you. But when you go through the fire and when you have an opportunity to show God's power in the midst of the process, it's called the, the glory. It's his reflection. His shining on you in the midst of your unfortunate situation. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't like unfortunate situations. I don't go on Craigslist look, looking for them. You know, I don't, I don't try and buy them. You know, unfortunate situations come my way. Please find me. No, no. But the Bible's honest. And the world is full of unfortunate situations. It is just full of it. You need to figure this out. It is actually predisposed to unfortunate situations. Jesus himself, not sugarcoating the situation. Imagine Jesus, okay? Just imagine 2,000 years ago. You're living on the earth and things are crazy. Occupation of Rome, poverty, injustice, 
people getting fed to lions, a lot of things you could complain about. And God shows up in the flesh and you're like, ha ha, yes, finally things are going to get right. And Jesus, although he be God in the flesh, in miraculous power, unimaginable, didn't fix anything that they wanted him to fix. Didn't make anything better that they wanted to be better. Oh, Jesus is here. Watch out. You're all going to get it. Ready, Jesus? And he's like, <laughs> that's not my first move. And Jesus, while he did miracles, only a few, compared to the resources he had, wouldn't he, shouldn't he have done more if that were her, his agenda, if that was his prerogative? But it wasn't to unleash heaven on earth in, in the ways that you would want and I demand. He says, no, I'm actually going to do something different. I'm actually not going to touch a lot of the physical stuff. I'll, I'll walk on water and turn some into wine and I'll heal some people for sure. But the real miracle that I'll do is my witness, my being with you, my redeeming your soul that is corrupt by nature, my rebirthing your inner person, my being with you in the midst of fire as you're burned at the stake like the forefathers and early Christians were. And I would, if I were on the committee, and I'm not, if I were on the committee, I'd say, Jesus, I think we need to be a little bit more abrasive in our lead here. We need to take a little bit more charge in the way we order life. As a matter of fact, the disciples who were on the committee were sent into Samaria to go rent a hotel. Remember, they went to Motel 6 for Jesus there in Samaria. And as they came back, they said, Jesus, it's really weird because they have rooms available. The vacancy sign was on, but they wouldn't rent to us because you're a Jew. And so we want to pray for them. You guys remember the story? And here's what they wanted to pray. We want to pray for him, Jesus. And we're just kind of hoping we could have maybe the same power that Elijah had because we kind of want to pray they die. <laughs> you with us? <laughs> and Jesus is like, I wonder if he's trying to not laugh. Like, guys, you're really fun. No, that's not what we're doing. You're not praying for our enemies that they die. And so often I just wonder, Lord, are you going to go to bat for me on behalf of my enemies? And on these things that are resisting me. Life is tough. It's difficult. It's confusing at times. Lord, do something. And the Lord said, okay, can I do it my way? Can I work inside of you gold and precious stones and silver and spiritual wealth and worth that will far exceed your expectations of praying that your enemies die? God is on a whole different prerogative and a whole different perspective. And so when you react and you grow and when others receive good from your trial, God is glorified and all of heaven and hell and all the beings and all the people around look and they can't but help give God glory. That's the three reasons why you're going through a trial right now. It's not your spouse's fault. Kind of is, but not really. It's not your kid's fault. Yeah, they're involved, but it's not really their fault. It's not the government. It's not your body. It's not the things around you. It's not your boss or your employees that are just messing your whole life up. Instead, it's the way it is on earth. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to suffer tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now, again, I would argue so hard at that point in the last hours of Jesus' life, I would pull him aside like Peter did and counsel him and say, you know, you could just kill everyone that's your enemy right now. Like, I'm, I got your back. We could, we could just set this up. And you, like me, don't want resistance, don't want tribulation. And Jesus said, it's going to be tough, but be of good cheer. It's this tension, the already but not yet, that God has conquered, but yet we still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
Yesterday was an awesome day, uh, just kind of all over the place. I went to a Walport early in the morning, had a 10 a.m. soccer game there at the new turf fields with my U6 Lions, the last soccer game of the year. And the coach apologized in advance. He said, look, we got some real good players, so we're probably going to 10-run you for sure. Just like, my, I'm sorry. And it ended up being a tie, 4-4. Four to four, So yeah, take that, coach. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just doing the highlights, just ESPN style, sorry. Anyways, it was a great game. We don't care. We don't keep track of score, but you can't help it sometimes. But anyways, the point is it was awesome handing out awards, and it was fun, and my daughter's last game, and just a great team. I had 10 players this year, and my boys were playing simultaneously in Newport, and they had a tie game as well. But I left there. I put my daughter in Pastor Bo's car, and his daughter plays on my team as well. And then I jetted up to the Alsea River. I changed my clothes, put a suit on from that to a memorial. It was a celebration of life. And Cheryl Seifert had lived a, a great life, but it was a short life in my estimation. And it was hard. It was difficult as we gathered together. And I went from one environment of fun and excitement, handing out medals, to another environment of handing out not medals for us, but a celebration of life for Cheryl. And, and then I went from that event. I came back into town and changed my clothes again and put swim trunks on. I went to the swimming pool. My daughter had a, f- a swimming party yesterday at the swimming pool, and I got to show everyone how to do squirrel dives and cannonballs and you know backflips and all that kind of stuff. It was super fun and having fun again. And then after that, I went home and changed clothes and went to the Newport High School graduation service. And it was 187 degrees inside. Okay, and The service was 14 hours long. But it was awesome. But we were suffering in there dying. It was illegal. It was illegal heat. I'm just kidding. It was hot and muggy, but it was awesome. And, and just this tension of, yeah, oh, yeah, and all this, it's life. As a matter of fact, right after the graduation ceremony, there was like 138 students or something like that. I'm not quite sure. A bunch of, it's so exciting. But I talked to one of my friends. He's one of the graduates. And his exact words after the graduation in the MP room where I'm so nervous. And everything was over. I was like, what are you nervous about? He's like, I just graduated. Now what? Like, this is, where do I, oh, that was awesome, and we, you know. And you know how it is, and that's how it is. And I want to be one like Paul, who because of my knowledge of God, my relationship with him, my understanding of the church, when things don't go my way, I can say, oh, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart for me, as he's chained and locked up. And for this reason, he bows his knee. And he doesn't pray at all. Read it on your own later. See if I'm wrong. Doesn't pray at all for his own material or physical situation. Or even his physical or material situation for his church. Lord, the church at Ephesus needs new land and a new property, Lord. They need a place to put all their hoodies, God. You know, please just bless them. And and he doesn't pray that. In the midst of the trials, he says, Lord, hey, 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 trials are coming. And so are great days. It's just the way life is. There's great days and there's not so great. It's just, and Lord, the thing we need is that our roots would be deep, that our love would be full, that your place would dwell richly. We read the prayer already. And I asked you guys to pray a couple weeks ago. Remember that when I asked you guys to pray 15 minutes per day? How'd that go? (laughs) Okay, so here's the deal. I want you to keep praying, but I don't want you to pray for 15 minutes a day. I just want you to be a prayer person. I want you to commit with me to just be wanting to pray, willing to pray. As a matter of fact, I've told you this before. When the disciples walked on the earth, they only ever asked Jesus to show them one thing. And it wasn't how to heal people and how to break bread and multiply loaves. They said, would you show us how to pray? Like, that's the one thing we lack. 
We just don't pray. And so just be a prayer person, but I want you to get these concepts as Paul navigates for us because he's not sugarcoating anything. He's not messing around, and life is full of tension, just like your life yesterday may have been like mine, up and down and in and out and all the rest, all the different emotions. But Paul says this in verse 14. is where we begin. We've got a few minutes left. He says, for this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that he is going into prayer now for this reason, again, is that the mystery has been served up and is available in the midst of the misery. Because of that, he said, oh, this is so good. The mystery, what's the mystery? The mystery that he had just realized years earlier and was now propitiating and now propagating and now promoting. The mystery that he had received was is that Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ with us, Christ among us, Christ for us, Christ through us, not just the Jews, but everybody. And I guarantee you, he was face palming himself over and over thinking, this is crazy. The mystery that Jesus loves the whole world, that he through his sacrifice on the cross can live inside of you who are yet still messed up, Gentilish in nature, not Jewish, doing things weird. And he realized, oh, for this reason, guys, Because of the good news, because of the availability and the access of heaven, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not even worried about it. Bring it on. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so it's for this reason that he goes into prayer. I need you to realize something. You're going to pray in your life for a lot of reasons in the future. Things will get difficult. You'll go into prayer. Things may get awesome. You'll go into exuberation in prayer. Okay, know this. When you choose to focus on God's plan of salvation, God's power, God's ability. You will always focusing on him and what he's doing and can do. You will always, when you focus on him, smile and pray. When you focus on yourself, your abilities, your knowledge, your experiences, your opportunities, you might not always smile and pray. You might get kind of weirded out and throw something. But when you realize, whoa, whoa, the mist, God's doing something. It won't be hard to pray. It won't be hard to plan. It won't be hard to move forward. It won't be hard to come to church. It won't be hard to to give. It won't be hard to participate when you understand what God is doing. So for for this reason, he says, I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, I asked you already, do you think he was lying when he said he bows his knees or was he really bowing his knees? I, I think he was really bowing his knees. Now, you don't have to bow your knees to pray, but let me just say something. When you bow your knees, you're in a position of submission, humility, contrition. I'm setting down my rights. I'm acknowledging my weaknesses, and I'm approaching God in prayer. When you approach God in prayer, you have to, at least in heart, do all of those things. You have to be contrite and humble. Set down your strength. Raise your hand if you're just the strongest person you know. Stupid question, right? And you have to say, I just, I have nothing to bring. When you pray, you're acknowledging the very truth that you can't fix your spouse, you can't fix your kids, you can't fix your neighbor, you can't fix this. If you're like me, when you can't fix something, you try and fix it anyways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then you need people to pray for you. <laughs> but instead, if you realize, this is out of my league. This is too big for me. This is beyond my reach. That's humbling yourself. And when you come to God based on that, as a matter of fact, let me just give you a little test. If you don't pray right now, you're not a prayer person. It's because you're fully relying on yourself. That may have stung. Okay, it's supposed to. 
I just want that to settle in. If you don't pray right now for your marriage, for your stuff, and I'm, I'm talking to myself, by the way. You guys probably think I pray like all day long, okay? And I do. <laughs> but if you don't pray right now, it's just not part of your repertoire, not part of your reaction. Instead, what you do is you work hard, you think hard, you plan hard, you show up hard, you give up hard, you just, you are hard. That's usually, most of us probably are in that condition, just kind of go there with and say, oh, man, what's that about? Remember Jesus' disciples with Jesus in the flesh. Hey, can, we, can you teach us to pray? We're not doing it. <laughs> just humble yourself. To, to bow your knees is to, I'm gonna, let me finish my thought. When I don't want to pray, it's because my heart's hard. It's just the way it is. I, I would rather just think it out, work it out, turn the music up a little bit louder, drive a little faster. Just kind of, yeah. I just, you, you examine your own heart. When I don't want to pray, something's wrong. The heart of the issue is an issue of my heart. To bow your knees won't make your heart soft, okay? That's, it's, it, it may help. But this position of prayer, prayer in and of itself humbles you, acknowledges God and his supremacy, his sovereignty, his plan. And it also acknowledges you in your, your idiocy. You have nothing to bring to the table. Yet you need everything. And as you let go of your will and tap into God's will, mighty things happen. So he's bowing his knee, this position of prayer. Let me just talk about prayer because I want you guys to pray this week. I really do. I want you to be people of prayer. I want you, like Paul, to react when things don't go your way. Oh, let's pray that in. Let's pray that God dwells in my heart richly through this. Let's pray that this allows me to have roots that grow deep. Let's pray that this allows God's glory to be seen. All different ways of praying than normally when we pray for that to happen and for them to disappear and for the cops to catch them and for whatever this stuff is. He prays very differently for himself. And so Paul now spends his time uh, praying. He puts his knees down, and that's just a way of showing that we surrender. Here's a couple things uh, that uh, about prayer will help you. God answers every one of your prayers you ever pray. You realize that? Okay, he answers in three ways. Really, th- only three ways. The first way he answers prayers when you pray is yes, and he brings it to fruition. He says, that's, you, you actually asked for something that's in my will too, and he actually brings it into your life, and this actually happens the other way that God answers your prayers is by saying no. How many of you right now are saying, yeah, right, pastor. He doesn't answer all my prayers. I prayed long and hard and diligent, and there were teams and prayer groups and prayer studies, and we prayed, and it didn't happen. Yes, it did. He answered your prayer. It was no. <sighs> and as brutal as that might sound, all of you agree that God has said no to some of your very foolish prayers, and you're thankful. Over the years, Lord, let me have this. And God's like, no, crazy person. And if you've ever had kids, you know they ask for the craziest stuff. And you listen, you're, you're you know, an adult. You're like, well, oh, it's very interesting that you would request to have a dinosaur at our house, you know. For various reasons, I'm not gonna provide that for you. And that's my final answer. God always answers our prayers. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And the third way he answers our prayers is not yet. Not yet. You're not ready. They're not ready. It's not ready. And he has you in that holding pattern. If you were to ask God, even if it's a yes prayer eventually, well, can I just have it now? And you would say to your 12-year-old child that wants to drive the car, nah, no, you got about another 25 years. 
25 years and you'll be good. We don't, God knows best. And he doesn't give to us what we want when we want it because we're oftentimes not ready. Whether he says no to you or, or yes to you or not yet to you. Here's the cool part. Here's the, here's the best part about prayer. You guys ready for this? The best part about prayer is that it always, always changes you. It sometimes changes your situation. Sometimes it's time for your situation to change. And when you pray, it's just right in tandem with God's timing. Listen, though, not always is your timing in tandem with God's. But when you pray, your heart, your insides, always, every single time you pray, change. Now, here's the dilemma. Most of us in here don't want to pray to be changed. Okay? Join me, prideful American. We don't, why would I pray for them and ask God to change my heart in the process? That's, I'm doing fine, Lord. It's the knucklehead next to me. And when you pray for the knucklehead next to you, when you do it, because Jesus said to you, he said, pray for your enemies. When you pray for your enemy, most of us pray that they would be arrested, that they'll die, that, you know, lightning bolt, Lord, you're creative. I give it to you. I give it to you. We pray for our enemies. You think Jesus wanted us to pray for our enemies to hurt them and harm them? No, not even close. He said, pray for your enemies. Serve your enemies. Why? Because in so doing, your heart can actually grow, listen, with empathy and compassion for what they're going through. And you can become more like Jesus who on the cross prayed for his enemies. What did he pray for them? That they would be forgiven. Not even that they would be changed or different, that they would stop killing him. He didn't pray for him, he prayed for them. And when you pray for your enemies, oh, get ready, get ready, you'll change. Your heart will be softened. You'll be more like Jesus. Did you know that's kind of the whole like, high watermark goal for life? Be more like Jesus. That's, you're not trying to impress him. You're not trying to outrun him. You're not trying to compete with him. You're trying to be like him. And so when you pray for your enemies, you all of a sudden become more like Jesus. And prayer always gets answered by God. Prayer always changes us. As a matter of fact, maybe it's not your enemies you're praying for, but check this out. This week, do this. I dare you. It'll get, it'll get crazy. Use a journal too. Write this stuff down as you pray. Pray over something this week, something you really want, but you're not quite sure if it's God's will. And you're open-handed. I'm just going to leave my hand open like this, Lord. Just kind of like that. No, I'm going to leave my hand open. Leave my hand open. And Lord, you can do whatever you want. You pray for a situation. And as you pray, if it's not God's will, you'll find it's, it's sometimes uncomfortable, but you, you want God's will. Trust me. As you pray for a situation, your desire for that situation will actually become looser and changed and different. And you might want to do this particular thing in business or in relationship. Or this is what I want to. Well, just pray about it. And usually when people say to me to pray about something, I'm under the type A works mentality, pray till it happens about it. Like pray till it happens, right? That's not the point of prayer about your life and situations. The point of prayer about your life and situations is to come in unity with God's will. And as you pray about your marriage or your singleness or your direction or your next moves or this or that, you'll find every time, darn it, my heart changed. Darn it, I wanted this and I prayed about it. And I don't even, I can't explain it. I don't want this anymore. 
And God will navigate you and he'll grow you and mature you and you'll be more like Jesus again. That's the big E on the chart we're trying to accomplish. So prayer changes us and occasionally even changes the things around us, but God's will be done. Well, verse 15 comes up right after 14. Let's read it. He says, "From the it says, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Stop right there as up here. Two more things I want you to see about prayer that will help you this week. Not only is every prayer answered and prayer changes you, good stuff, great stuff. Prayer is an opportunity for you to have a contrite heart, to be accepted in God's presence, great stuff. But some of you might be approaching God on, on a business model, looking at the church as a consumer, customer, service-oriented model. You need to understand something. He says here that God is your father and we're part of a family. Now, when you use those two F words, okay, not all of us have a great reaction, father and family. Some of us had a poor father, a bad father, a, a non-father, an irresponsible father, an abusive father. I understand that some of us did. And some of us don't have great family dynamic. I realize that as well. But if you could take those two words and put them as high as you possibly could in your imagination and say, whoa, God calls himself a father? Trip out. And he calls us a family? I thought it was more of a 501c3 nonprofit charity government recognized organization. And if you, on accident, treat the church like a business, a business model that has hours and availability and goods and services, which, to be honest, we do. That's like any family has that business side, but we are not a business. We are a family. And if you treat this like a business, you won't pray for it. You won't pray for the people you're sitting next to. You won't pray for me. You won't pray for God's will to be done. You just won't. Let me just ask you this question. How many of you guys prayed for JC Market this week? Lord, I pray for J.C. Market. I pray, Lord, that the fruits and vegetables would commingle well. Lord, I pray for the meat department and all of its fine cuts, Lord, that they would make it to the expiration date and some even beyond. Lord, I pray for your increase. You don't pray for your grocery stores. It's a business. You appreciate them. You're a customer. You consume. You can criticize. You can switch. You can move around. That's not how family works. Did you know that a business model, a business model is give as little as you can and get as much as you can back. That's just simple business. I'm a little investment, much return. And if you treat the church like that, Paul says, no, this is the family. Here's the deal. If you really believe that to be true, you'll pray better for the people around you. When you pray, because I know you do, you probably pray for your mom or your dad or your, your, your kids or your brothers or sisters or your aunts or your uncles or your, your immediate family. It's, just, it's pretty simple. And maybe that gets bigger. And as you look at the church like God does and say, whoa, this is a family unit, not a business, then it becomes much more easy to pray. Not just that F word, but the other F word, the father word. He says, go to the father. I bow my knees to the father and I pray for the family. Wow. In the Old Testament, which Paul had, the father word is only used about a dozen times to describe God, and it's father over the nation of Israel. It's collective. It's kind of big. It's not personal. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and he drops that word all over the place. Father this, father that. When you pray, Matthew 6, approach God this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And he goes, and he says, approach him like you would a dad. And if you've ever had kids... Okay, you know exactly how those kids get your attention, how they approach you, don't you? Don't you? Here's how my kids do it. 
because I train them well. When they want to get my attention, they walk in, they say, Father, if I could have your, your ear for a moment. My diaper has become full and I need it changed. So if in your free time in the future, you see it in your will, please serve me. Right? Oh, wait, wait. That's not how it happens at all. You have a kid. Diaper needs to be changed. How do they let you know? And as a father, you're like, oh, 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 and you serve them, and you minister to them, <laughs> right? <laughs> so when I come home, my kids are not, they're out of diapers now, but what I've taught my kids to do, that way they be reverent, I say, when you approach me when I come home from work, okay, you stay your distance, <laughs> and only speak to me in Koine Old Testament Greek. And keep your sentences accurate, and maybe even memorize with the little outline of your prayer. The way you're going to approach me, don't blow it. How, how the, here's what actually happened today. I came to work this morning at 7.30 by myself, and uh, I didn't bring my kids. I usually bring my two boys with me, but I didn't today. And so I was upstairs getting ready for the first service, and I hadn't seen my boys here at church. I made them breakfast before I left, but I hadn't seen them yet here, and I was engrossed in my notes and reading and praying and stressing and on my knees, and in comes Noah. just pops the screen open right up there, and I saw him, and hey, get over here, and I gave him a big hug, and Nemo came in, and they climbed all over me. And they have full access to me because I'm their dad, and they're my kids. And when I see them, Oh, I love them. I like them. I'm drawn to them. I set down my agenda for their well-being. If you're going to pray this week, okay, do so to your father as a family member. It's so much more fun, so much different. You could spaz out a little bit if you try 15 minutes. You could read a book on prayer or two or three and feel like a total failure. You could hear stories about James the Just who had calluses on his knees because he prayed so much. Some of your knees are pretty soft, you know what I'm saying? Listen, pray to the Father as if you're in a family because you truly are. He goes on to say this. Here's what you should pray. We're going to study through this quite quickly, but read it with me. He says in verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Again, we've talked about this humility approaching the Lord. Here's the big idea. You're dependent. God is independent. God needs nothing. You need everything. The very air you breathe was supplied by God or you would die. Everything that you need is provided by God. You're very dependent upon him. And so he has great wealth and great opportunity to serve you. But when you have that mindset, what's it say there in verse, verse 16? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. How many of you are just so stoic and I don't want to bother him? I'll figure it out. I don't need a lot of glory. I don't need a lot of his... I'm just going to live a mediocre life and not ever do anything great or ask for anything grand. I'm just trying to do nothing. And Paul, Paul says, no, 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 no. He's, he's so rich. He's so... For his glory, but he's got the wealth. He's got the power. It's that connection, though. And in our pride, we don't put ourselves in that position to be dependent upon him. He says here in verse 16, here's what we pray for, that we be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I need you to just look at the obvious with me. Paul's not praying for a better cellmate, for bail to be posted, anything to change around him. He's praying that his inner man, that their inner man would be strengthened. Did you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says that the outer man is perishing daily? That means that older and older, we're getting weirder and weirder. Gravity is hitting some of you guys super hard. You know what I'm saying? Don't look around. It's awkward now. The outward man, dude, it's just going crazy. You know what Paul says? But the inner man, the eternal you, it's actually being renewed daily. 
it's actually getting more legit. It's getting more awesome. It's getting fine-tuned and prepared for eternity. The outer man, deal with it. It's just getting older and weirder and eh. But the inner man, that's what his prayer's for. Most of you right now are probably praying for the outer man. Guaranteed. Lord, keep us safe. Give us traveling mercies. Bless this food to our bodies. Give us nourishment. It's just, we're just weird. We just pray for all the stuff around us because we're very focused on it. Paul here should be focused on everything physical. Doesn't even include that in his prayer. He's like, hey, 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 Lord, help me to be a good kid in the family of God and may my inner man be strengthened. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow, stop right there, eyes up here. Paul prays for himself. He prays for the church. He prays for you. He prays for me. We pray for each other. What? that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Roots are very important, aren't they, for growth? I mean, without the roots, there will be no fruit. Most of us are fruit sniffers, fruit inspectors, fruitaholics, we're just fruity. We just want the fruit. And he says, I'm gonna pray for the root. If the root's there, the fruit will show up, no big deal. And if the root is in the love of God, if the root is grown so deep in the love of God, you will produce amazing fruit. Let me just say this right now, especially for you students and for you type A go-getters and for you strugglers and for people who want to do it right. You may be tempted this year to take a mission trip or to read a book on Christianity or to memorize the book of James or to do something great. That's, you may be, I got to do something. Man, I got to do something. I got to do something. Listen, if you excel in your understanding of the love of God, that, that just that, just trip, trip out. If you really... Spend the whole summer getting to know the love of God, you will be rooted and grounded. There will be nothing that can stop you or derail you. Sometimes you want to learn those arguments. Oh, I got to study the cults. I got to study the cults. Got to figure out the cults. I got to figure out the cult. I got to figure out the stuff. I got to get this. I got to get the Greek and get the Hebrew. And I got to get the history. History. Yeah, I got to get the history. What if you just spent time soaking and saturating yourself in the love of God? And all of a sudden you became the most, wow. And there is no argument that could stop you or thwart you. His prayer is that your love and understanding of God's love would be paramount. He says prior to that, right on verse 16 or 17, that he prays that God would dwell in us. If you're looking for that one verse that talks about inviting Jesus into your heart, it's right here. It's right here. Oh, Jesus, come into my heart. It's right here. And he prays that Jesus would dwell there. There's a difference, though, because he's talking to Christians that are already saved. God's already in their hearts, but he says, I'm just praying that God would live. The idea of dwell means to live. It's the difference of going to a hotel. You ever checked into a hotel? Okay, when you check into a hotel, you check in, and you just kind of stand around, you look around, you look at the drawer and see what they have, and you turn the channels on, you look at the window, and you like, turn the things on, and pretty much you're done. Like, okay, we're just staying here for a little bit. You don't call Home Depot and order some paint, okay? If the sink's leaking, you don't go to the store and get tools. I want to fix the sink. This is my hotel. I want to make it right. You're temporary. You're not, stay- you're not dwelling there. You're not living there. But if you own a home, if you ever have the privilege of owning a home, fixer upper, old or new, it doesn't matter. If you own a home, it's your home. And you pick the colors of paint. And if you don't like them, you change them. And if you don't like that, you change them again. I've changed ours three times. <laughs> I've liked each one. My wife is the one who says, ah, yeah. She's not here today. <laughs> Pray for me. Anyways, <laughs> if it's your home, listen, if, if it's your, you live there, 
it's way different than a hotel. And if you do own a home right now, homeowners, you know your spring project list. All the stuff you got to get done. And you know your summer project list. And you know the fall project list. And you know the winter project list. And you know next year's. And you know five years from now. And you know that's going to have to be replaced because it's yours. Did you know that when God lives inside you, when Jesus lives there, he's always doing something? He's always pulling something up and working on something, and he's got an agenda, and he's like, oh, this is my house. I live here. I'd like to paint this wall for the fourth time, and I'd like to rearrange this. And if you have Christ living in you, okay, you need to understand that he will make himself at home gradually and succinctly, and he will upgrade. How many, you don't raise your hand, but how many of you right now do you feel that God is working on something deep within that you're not necessarily even ready for this project, this overhaul, this remodel of this soul, and maybe God's opened up this file that you had deep back in the closet where nobody goes, Jesus. Jesus, we don't go back there. And you walk in and Jesus has all your file out and he's scratching his head and you're like, ah, right? And he works on stuff because he lives there. It's his and he loves it. And he appreciates it. I've got all kinds of stuff at my house that's fallen apart, needs to be replaced, okay? And I love my house. I just, I, I live there, I dwell there, I'm gonna fix it. You go to a hotel, stuff's falling apart, call somebody else and leave. You know what I'm saying? Not my problem. He prays that Jesus would move in, that he would dwell richly and that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Look at verse 19. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, spend this week praying not to be a better person, not to have more money. Pray that your roots would be founded in love and that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Out of that will be a life well lived. Out of that will be joy unmeasurable. Out of that will be purpose that can't be taken from you. He says in the last couple of verses, verse 20, this is a great way to end a prayer. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now to him who is able. That's kind of a big statement, isn't it? If you were to print up business cards for yourself, would you put your first name and put under there, by the way, I am able. To him who, would you pronounce yourself in that way? You wouldn't. But when looking at God, you and I get to say, he's, he can actually do this. I can barely get myself out of bed sometimes. But the Lord is ordering all of the earth, all of the things around, and his glory is being seen. Verse 21, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This idea of glory will help line up your life in your navigational points for the rest of your life until you die and go to heaven when you understand who's supposed to get the glory. Today, before all the services began, I did go on my knees and pray, and God busted me right then. He said, why are you doing that? Why are you praying? I said, well, I was going to pray that I don't look dumb. That's what I'm going to start with, you know. Pray that I don't say stupid stuff. Pray that I remember what I'm supposed to say and just kind of pray that people show up and all this stupid stuff. He said, okay, that's what you normally pray for. But then based on the Bible, I was like, well, maybe I should pray that, that our roots are founded in, in the love of God and that God lives and dwells in us richly and that the people who come to church today, that's what I'm praying for, that the people who come to church today 
would be blessed and would have their navigational sights aligned to purpose that is eternal, not just temporal. And that we would pray to that end and that we would pray to our Father with boldness and we would pray for our family with love and clarity. And that we would pray for God's glory and God's glory alone. He says, now to him be the glory forever and ever. St. Augustine has a quote, which I'll paraphrase. Actually, I'll read it. He says this, once the issue of glory is settled, all the issues are settled. And he had realized once you figure out what you're living for at all, why you're a mom or why you're a dad, why you're single, why you're married, why you're an athlete or why you're not an athlete, why you're moving here, going there. Why are you doing this? Well, ultimately, it's so I can follow God and glorify him in all that I do. It's for him. When you figure out the glory issue, all the other issues are figured out. And you say, Lord, just let my life be a reflection. Remember we learned that weeks ago? Glory is literally a reflection of who God is. You'll notice tonight if the clouds pass that there are three or four, maybe five planets that are in view right now. Maybe you guys have been watching this. If you go out in the middle of the night, you can look up and see planets that normally aren't in view because of their distance and because of their orbit, etc. Did you know that those planets that are now visible, we can see them with our naked eye. Those planets don't have any light in and of themselves, just like our moon. They're, it's just because we can see them doesn't mean they just, oh, they turned on. They turned on. No. Oh, look, somebody, somebody turned it on. Somebody has to pay the power bill. No. We're able to see these planets in our atmosphere, not in our atmosphere, but in our whatever it's called. What's it called? Galaxy? No, solar system. Thank you. So smart me because of the reflection of the sun the one star we do have on those empty rocks those planets and as you figure this out it's going to be so fun this week right now even just a few minutes as we worship as you come to the table as we sing songs as we do what we do next we do so for god's glory not our own oh and it's easy then to bow your knee not my glory it's not my problem, not my, my objective. It's not my agenda. And you can give up. And then when things don't go your way, you guys ready for that? It's going to happen. It's not going to go your way. There's going to be a trial, a resistance set right in front of you. You can say, oh, cool. Grow, grow, with, grow in me something, Lord. Walk with me through this and give me that comfort so I can then comfort those around me. So all of heaven and earth, look at your glory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we pray and respond by worshiping at the table, taking the cup and taking the bread and glorifying God in our faith in him. Father, in Jesus' name, we've studied your word. We've applied it to our hearts now, Lord. We've made much illustration for our lives. And in Jesus' name, God, we thank you that you are indeed able to transcend into our lives and to take this truth and to make it our truth. And if you're here this morning and you're gathering and you just heard the word taught and you saw Jesus lifted up and you realized in your life that you need to humble yourself and bow your heart and your knee to him and to give your life that he might live through you. If that's you this morning, not to be saved, you're already saved, but that Christ would dwell in your heart. He would have more access, more room, that your life would be less about agendas and dramas and more about navigating forward with what he has for you. Would you just right now humbly submit to him and raise your hand? Just raise your hand and say, yep, Lord, I don't want to waste my life. I just want to live it for you. It's to you be the glory, both now and forever. 
Lord, use me at, at, in my profession. Use me, Lord, in, in my youth, in my being young. And use me in my age, Lord, being a, an older sage in the community. Use me. Raise your hand right now to the Lord and submit. Father, my hand is up as well, and I just ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that your glory be known in this church, that, Father, as we come to you, Lord, you would use us for your glory. You'd raise us up as your kids, that you would bless us, Lord. Do everything for your glory. Lord, not one person in here has a perfect life. As a matter of fact, if we were to line us all up and tell us our worst deeds and our deepest secrets, all of us would be so embarrassed. There's not one person here who's done it right. And yet as we come into the light, to the table, we confess there is one who's done it right. He leads us to the Father. He's made a way. And now we can walk in redemption. Though we've fallen, though there be sin, grace abounds. And so, Lord, for your glory, we stand tall today. For your glory, Lord, we bow our hearts low today. For your glory, we do what we do. We come to the table in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with me? And when you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisles and take your communion out to the side aisles. There'll be people to pray for you on my right and left during this time as well. The tables are open.